Hey, Big Sit Familia. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Wishing everybody the most amazing holidays ever. 2023 has been a wild ride. Certainly lots of obstacles and challenges, but also choosing to focus on the things that brought us so much joy, pleasure, people, all those good things. And while it's taken me quite a long time, I will be honest, to put out this episode, um, I am absolutely so grateful to have had the privilege to sit in conversation with Chris Renfrew. I hope you all enjoy this. And Chris, thank you for your patience in letting me get this episode out. It's finally here and I am just so thankful for you and wishing so many amazing blessings in 2024. Hope you all enjoy. The Big Sip. Hey, 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 y'all. This is Gabriela, your host for The Big Sip Podcast. Super honored as well as excited for the person who I get to speak with today. This person is at the center of really trying to not only bring diversity to the wine industry, bring education, really ensure that people are understanding of the experiences of the black community, of the brown community, of the impact that we can all make when it comes to different injustices that are faced through food, through wine, through just our communities and what we experience every day. And he's learning to build more community through his project. Uh, As he likes to say, from the vine up, it is my absolute pleasure to speak with Christopher Renfro from the 280 Project. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Nice to see you. (laughs) Nice to see you, too. Um, you and I were speaking a little bit off the air just about everything going on. And obviously, a lot of people have been coming to you, especially in the last couple of years, because of the 280 Project and what you're really building out in San Francisco. An anomaly for many, many reasons, right? San Francisco kind of doesn't have the climate that you would normally suspect for making wine. But the vines that are growing there in San Francisco have the greatest stories to tell. And obviously, what you're building out there far beyond the vine, I education-wise, reclaiming land, reclaiming a sense of identity, and building that community for the people who live in San Francisco and anybody who's also come in as apprentices to support the nonprofit organization that you've started is clearly there to, to shine as an example of something incredible that can occur despite you know it not seeming like it might be possible. Yeah, totally. It's been a, a real privilege to say that like I've been able to steward San Francisco's only vineyard and to uh, grow that further just to be able to offer community to people that aren't really accepted in the wine industry and Mm -hmm. food spaces. I think typically we are used as labor and, you know, also the fun vibe, party, good music, spices, flavor, you know what I mean? But beyond that, like we're not really given recognition as being professionals or experts in our spaces so that's the whole goal behind everything i'm doing whether it be 280 project or feeding people in the community through Mm -hmm. feed the people collective that i run with my friend haley just trying to be out in the city and be a real person i love and appreciate that and out of respect for everything that you do it's not easy 
to be this person that takes on this task, right? But at the end of the day, when people ask, you know, like, well, why do you do it? And, you know, how do you get it all done? I think sometimes as brown and black individuals, you've experienced certain life experiences that you're just like, well, I just don't have a choice. I'm just here trying to do my part to better my community, better my society with the access to the resources that I have. Because if not me, then who? And if not now, then then when? You mentioned, you know, that a lot of brown and black individuals usually aren't acknowledged and respected in the way that they should be as professionals in this field. What has been your personal experience in that, that kind of, I guess, inspired the idea behind 280 Project? Or can you bring me back to, I guess, these moments that have shaped you to spearhead something like this? Yeah, I mean, I've been being discriminated my entire life. Like, literally, I remember being called the N-word at seven, some whatever, like, nine, 10, whatever years old, like early. It was constant pressure, being bullied, being made fun of. Sadly, I don't have my freshman yearbook from high school, but uh, a young blonde woman that I went to school with used to make fun of me and say the same thing to me all the time. And in that yearbook, she wrote in the back, like, hey, Chris, sorry for calling you a nigger all year. And you know, like when you grow up with those kind of things happening to you, it doesn't go away because as you become an adult, it still turns into microaggressions or people just thinking it's funny to say stuff uh, about your hair or about generalizations about your community or who you are as black people or just kind of being the butt of the joke. And, you know, standing up for yourself doesn't always feel safe. So that all bled into eventually working in the service industry. And I started in restaurants way back when I was like 16, working in a dish pit, dropped that off for a while, got into design, ended up having to sue the company that I worked for. And my lawyers who were white, they ended up stealing the money from me. And uh, yeah, so I hired some civil rights lawyers and it was one of those situations where another thing, it like kind of made me go like crazy in my mind for a minute where I was just like, this world cannot actually be like this. This is at all turns, like it's like we're having to defend ourselves. And, you know, I had a lot of white friends at the time that kind of told me it was not real. It couldn't have possibly happened. People were telling me that it was too much to talk about. And it ended up being real. And I won. And, you know, it didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to. But at least it gave me a sense of, like, I can stand up for myself. And, um, you know, going back to being another, uh, like a young person again, like my family asked me as a kid before I got on a long U-Haul ride with my mom across the country. And they asked me like, what do you want to do when you're a kid on VHS? And like, I was like, I just want to make the world like a cool place, a better place. And they laughed at me, (laughs) you know what I mean? So it's like, I've always had that in me to be, um, of service. Yeah. And like stand up for people. And, uh, I was actually farming yesterday with another young man of color and just talking about him is being a caring person also. And I let him know that I would get into like actual physical fights for standing up for people with like autism, Down syndrome, and just like not letting people pick on people that can't defend themselves. So like I said, coming into the wine industry, the restaurant industry, I noticed that there was like a clear divide beyond back of the house, Mm -hmm. in front of the house. Mm -hmm. It's like, who's actually in the dish pit, who's prepping everything, who is calling the plays, the shots. And I saw a lot of Latino workforce being used. I saw them being put in a place 
very similar to slaves or servants in a way that like they weren't allowed to show their face. They weren't allowed to really be on the floor, but they did all of the hard labor to prep the restaurant to make everything work. And it felt like they were kept in situations where they weren't allowed to stand up for themselves. And when they went through a time where they could, restaurants were fighting over them for like, who's going to pay top dollar to get them. Mm -hmm. They had leverage and I saw restaurants freaking out about it. And it was these kind of things that I noticed I'm also being the only black person in an upper scale restaurant for a large period of time. The only people that looked like me were actors, actresses, basketball players, NFL players, musicians. And then when people that were like normal, everyday black folks would come in, I swear the comments would be like, you got to watch them, make sure they pay their bill. They're probably not going to tip. And it's like, you realize you're saying that shit to me, right? Like, and it was like, same thing, like upward mobility. I worked up from being food runners and all these things, wine assistant wine directing, all kinds of stuff. But I also wanted to work in bar programs. I wanted to learn everything. And like, I felt like I was kept in positions where I literally was told that I speak well and I'm great with customers and that I need to be not necessarily the host, but it's great when I greet people and I walk them to their tables and I give them that first experience. And it's like, I could do that at a bar. I can do that while mixing drinks. I can do all of it. You know what I mean? But yeah, I just realized it's like, oh, until we run our own shit, People are going to always tell us what we're allowed to do. Hundred, and they're going to justify it. Hundred. They're going to justify it. Literally, it's come to a point where we have had to understand there's no waiting around for you to give me that opportunity because clearly you're not going to give me that opportunity. I have to go fucking build it my damn self. I have to go do it on my own because if I sit around waiting, you're just going to constantly keep me in your little game, in your puzzle to be like, this is where you can fit in this circle and you don't go outside of that circle. And when you were saying how you get you know these compliments about like, oh, you speak really well, you're really great with people I don't know what's going on through someone's mind when they say that if they think it's supposed to be a compliment but I've always taken so much offense when someone has told me that specifically white people because white people are the only ones who are ever telling me that and in yep. my mind I'm just thinking like how am I supposed to speak you know like is there an assumption that I can't be an educated Latina woman that for some reason like I need to come and speak with an accent like I I don't understand like what you're trying to get at and and with you telling me like but your English is so well, like you just have such a like an eloquent way of speaking. Like, I don't know what what you want me to say or what you were expecting of me. But clearly you have placed me in whatever box you think I, I am. And as you said, you're generalizing me with all brown women, all brown immigrant Latina women. And it's also beyond just the speaking well part. It's, it goes so deep because if you really think about it, it's like, well, are you talking about this in a restaurant setting? Are you talking about this in a professional setting? Are you letting me know that I am making you happy right now by being who you think I should be? And mm -hmm. education shouldn't even have anything to do with how you actually represent with other humans. Like I talk to people that don't even speak English. And like, we can literally gesture to each other and have like a great working relationship. Mm -hmm. Like I don't speak the, the best Spanish, but like, I definitely talk with all my like Latin coworkers mm -hmm. and make sure that like, we have a relationship in mm -hmm. some sort. And like, you know what I mean? So when people say that to me, it means that it's like, you are serving me right now as someone who sees ownership over you as I've groomed you well, mm -hmm. and that you are you know, you're representing me as mine and doing exactly what I want you to do, mm. you know? So, and, and that's what I'm saying. It doesn't require education because 
It's like, if you want me to be articulate, if you want me to have a large vocabulary, that has nothing to do with like with hospitality. Yep. It's how you and make that's people why it's feel. Weird. Yeah. Working, working service and, and working table side to me was my greatest power. And like, I love having a wine knowledge and all this stuff, but like, honestly, I didn't care about regions and all these things. And like, I don't know, at some point becoming a Psalm started to become like, not what I cared about. It was more about like, I literally can have relationships with people that spend $400 on a bottle of wine over and over again at night. And like, my background as a black person, we don't really know each other, but in the moment, how many times you've been to this restaurant, you want to share a ten to $20,000 bottle that you brought in personally, mm-hmm. and you want me to, to taste this. And it has nothing to do with me speaking exactly perfect to you. It's like, I'm going to have fun with you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to respect you. And I'm going to make sure you respect me also. 100%. You're going to build that relationship with one another, especially for people who to continue to come back in because of how you make them feel. And how you make somebody feel mm-hmm. has nothing to do with your education, has nothing to do with how well you speak, how expansive that vocabulary is. Well, and I also made sure that I wasn't unseen. You know what I mean? Whether it be like a giant 12 top, 18 top, whatever. Like, I don't care if you guys are there in a business meeting. I'm going to ask you what you're doing. If you're, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to always ask, like, what's going on at the table? Who's here? Where are you from? What are you guys doing? Like, I'm not your servant. I'm not just a server. I'm not like anything like that. It's like, I am a human person too. And you got to realize you're in a public space. Mm. Like, like realistically, like I'm not going to sit in the back and pretend like it's like plantation times. Mm-hmm. No, hundred percent, hundred percent from, from being there though, knowing that that was like how you originally got exposed to wine upon leaving, did you just want to immediately dive more into the wine world? Or like, what was really that thing that ticked you that kind of put you down this path of getting you now with what you have with 280 and and building more community through that? It was, it was like being in restaurant space. Like, I mean, I got to go on wine trips and, but I also, I had went to school for horticulture in 2010. So like, I've always had like a love for plants and like studying, working in greenhouses. Yeah, I've worked in a lot of nurseries, greenhouses, all kinds of different plant jobs. Um, But it was being told that my story wasn't valid enough um, as far as like my family's wine experience, like when doing wine education in the restaurants and lineup and stuff. And like, I couldn't tell the stories that I wanted to tell about my family and my mom drinking wine coolers rather than like us actually having any kind of like Chardonnays or Pinot Noirs or Cabs. Like my mom drank Amaretto Sours. She drank wine coolers. Um, my mom. And I was told, I was told that that wasn't like, I wasn't able to share that and it didn't make sense to talk about that. But it's like somehow I became the person that outsold wine and I was like able to, you know what I mean? Like be real. I don't know. Be yourself. Yeah. And it was weird. So that kind of feeling like I, I kind of did. I kept like this animosity, like where I was just like, ugh, like, like this is getting to be something that I really don't fuck with. Mm -hmm. And yeah, being in the vineyards though, like going on these like wine trips, same thing. Who did I see out in the fields? Latin people. And who did I see getting to tell the stories and be the leads of the companies? White people. And I was like, oh, this is very similar to something that I've seen in history books, kind of. And like, it was this glimpse into like, 
if I'm going to do this and if I want to go further in food and wine, like I don't want to be fake. Like I'd want to own a farm. I want to farm grapes. I want to own a vineyard. I'd love to have a rural property, but also be a city person. And like, I just realized I was like to get my bars up. Napa seemed hella far at the time Mm. and it didn't seem safe. So I was like searching around, like, where is a place I could learn about viticulture Mm -hmm. Uh, where I live in San Francisco city college, where I went to horticulture school, didn't have a viticultural program or anything like that. So um, luckily there was a lady here in the city that started a vineyard called neighborhood vineyards. And I, we tried to tap into her many times and she kind of just like, it was either too busy or whatever, I took it as like a slight of disrespect and kind of like, hey, communication works both ways. Just let me know you're too busy or let me know you need help. But at some point it became like, all right, this feels like gatekeeping, literally. Yeah. And um, so I went there for like a cutting one day because I'd gotten like my first cutting from Ted Lemon when he was doing like this shoot thinning. We were up at Literai and I took it back with me in a water bottle and everybody on our like team van, whatever from the restaurant. Um, I worked at a place called Liho Liho at the time. They, uh, people were like, Oh, you're not going to get that to grow. And I sure did. And it's like like, literally, yeah. And it's on my back porch now and it's in my backyard. It's a Calera clone of Pinot Noir and it's like eight years old, something like that. And I was holding it there until I could put it in the ground. But, um, it was that experience where I was like, all right, I need to get another vine. So I knew this lady had a bunch of like swan clones and all kinds of different like Pinot clones. And I went to go get a cutting and I went there and it was just like abandoned, like dilapidated. Um, Granted it was the winter season, but I could tell that it was like not being cared for and like vines were being ripped out. So I I called our friend, Angel Davis, who owns a bar here in uh, San Francisco, Fig and Thistle um, in Malay, a wine bar. And we asked her, I was like, hey, what's going on with this project? And she's like, yo, the lady abandoned it. You should see if you can take over. So I like, I hung up. Thank you. Went to the farm manager at uh, Alamany Farm. Her name's Abby Bell. And I literally ran up on the lady and was like, yo, dude, like, what's going on with the vineyard, blah, blah, blah. Like, can I take over? Like, can I do it? And she was like, all right, well, first, can you introduce yourself? And I was like, <laughs> I ran it, you know. Like, my name's Chris, you know what I mean? Like, please, like, hurry, because I know if any white person finds out about this shit, they're going to try and take it. You know what I mean? Like, like I felt that feeling of, like, oh, shit, a window of opportunity. Yes, like, dead ass, and I don't think people get it. It's like, when you see these things of people of color, like, I take it seriously. Like, anytime I see a piece of land, I try and I envision it real quick, and I think about, like, how can I get it? And, like, this was that moment. Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, literally, there's a vineyard in the middle of the city, and nobody wants to take it. Like somebody abandoned it. I was like, not me. So Breathe 2019, new life into it. Mm-hmm. yeah, 2019 got to take over the project and uh, take over the vineyard at Alamany Farm, which is located on the backside of Bernal Heights, um, kind of like outer mission area. But it sits next to a neighborhood called Alamany Apartments, which is like the project's and the juxtaposition was kind of wild and everything. And I'd seen that farm since I'd lived in San Francisco. It was called Slug, like uh, San Francisco's League of Urban Gardeners. And they were there to, to promote farming education for Black youth, inner city youth. And it went defunct. And it was just like a full, crazy, like, 
wraparound of everything in life being like, wow, like this is that spot. And um, yeah, so we had it like back in 2019, December is when we took over it. So it was way ahead of like George Floyd or Ahmaud Aubrey being murdered. And, you know, I told everybody at the restaurant, I was like, we got a vineyard, y'all. Like, if you were like, what do you mean you got a vineyard? I was like, what the fuck do you think I mean? I was like, we have a vineyard in the city. Like, like you guys should come see it. And nobody believed it. Nobody tried to talk. Like, like they were like, ah, oh, whatever. And I was like, really? Like, I was like, you guys are all acting like you're into wine and shit. I was like, literally, your boy took over a vineyard. Like, I'm going to learn. I was like, I'll see you guys in a few years, but watch. Like, you know, so that's what really kicked it in. I was like, to prepare myself for the property that we one day get to steward and own, um, this is going to be that space. And, you know, sadly, the pandemic happened, which was awesome for me, like uh, saving grace, because like it gave me time to literally start working and being in the vineyard every day with my daughters and my, my lady. And just that was what we did. And it was like our safe space. And like, you know, like there was no people around. Like we got to like meet lots of people of color and like ethnic other folks and like Asian Latin people that were farming for free food because Alamania is this public park that grows food for free for the community. So that's where we were. So we got to see lots of different people. And, um, but then all of a sudden these, uh, hillbilly dudes in, I forget where it was like Alabama or Georgia or something like decided to hunt that black man down and shoot him for looking at houses. And I remember the feeling of finding out that they didn't talk about it in the news for like two months, that nobody even spoke about it, that they were hiding this information. Mm -hmm. And that's the moment that I realized, I was like, I saw myself in him realistically because like I literally snoop around real estate all the time, like not doing any shady shit, but like looking at like architecture, looking at properties, like trying to figure out like, what you can make yours, 100%. Exactly, exactly. And I feel like that man got gunned down for being inquisitive, um, wanting to know, you know what I mean? Um, and that moment, I was like, mm. old my partner, I was like, we got we to gotta figure something out, man. I was like, this industry sucks. And this vineyard is like a opportunity to offer people of marginalized communities, a safe space and to learn, you know what I mean? So reclamation, that's basically where it started, you know? And so, yeah, it, it came out of like a necessity of needing a safe space to be in. There's so much to unpack from that. And thank you yeah. for sharing, by the way, it's really hard to find safe spaces in this industry. And when you have a moment where you like see somebody else who looks like you. I don't know about you, but like for myself, it's like this thing where like I have to gravitate towards them to just be like, oh my gosh, like I'm not lonely, you know, because any other time mm -hmm. you feel like you can't show up as your full self. Like there's like a certain wall, not necessarily because you want to put it up, but it's almost like to protect yourself from other people making assumptions about you or just like you somehow feeling like you're invading a space that you're 1000% allowed to be in, but other people making you feel like it's not for you. And what I appreciate so much about the 280 project and the land that you have created, the programming that you've preserved for people to come in to learn 
not just about wine, but about food, about land and educate themselves, know that they can be inquisitive without there being some kind of negativity on the back end of that. That's so healing to, to actually have a space where you can, where you can just kind of let your guard down and just like, just be, I know it sounds really silly, but like just, just being is not an easy thing to do day in and day out. <laughs> there is a fine line of how real you can be with yourself before people start cutting you off and before they uh, just like, yeah, they just don't associate with you and they protect what they have. And, but they'll utilize it. They'll listen to rap music. They'll listen to like Latin music. Mm. They'll, they'll, they'll wear the, the clothing. They'll, try and use the uh, lingo certain ways. Oftentimes it's joking and like derogatory, but um, joking. it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, usually we're the, we're the ones who are being made fun of. And, but it is, it's like that situation where you also don't want to give people ammo to like use against you and to like try and put you in an awkward situation at some other point or to make you vulnerable because once someone says something really weird, like the feeling of having to stand up for yourself and then it backfire is the worst because when people start arguing with you and you're like, Hey, that's fucked up. And it's like, Hey, why are you being sensitive? Or like, you know, and it's like, people don't understand. I've had so many situations where I had to learn in life that it's not a, like a instant thing. When you tell people how you feel that they're going to respect it, they're going to like fire back and be like, well, that's, yeah, and it's like it's fucked up because it's like a situation where you're like, realistically, you would think that you would be able to understand another human's pain. Or at least acknowledge another... my pain. Exactly. Even if you don't understand it, just acknowledge that I'm not just here talking out of my ass. Mm-hmm. And, it, and then it like, I don't know, if you are engaged enough like, and realize what's going on, it starts to make you realize how unsafe certain people will be and also how privileged they are to have never had to even think about what they're doing. And that's scary because we're not supposed to be educating people all the time. We're supposed to be just living. Mm. And I think that's like a very similar to like ruminating on negative thoughts. Like when you constantly have to be preparing yourself of what you're going to say and how you're going to say it, it like keeps you in this loop of not being able to progress and it, it just doesn't feel authentic. So it creates uh, imposter syndrome, all these other types of things. Something that I know that affects all of us at some point in time, but it also is something that people are internalizing. And it always comes out in some way or form. Yeah, and sometimes it doesn't come out in the best form either. You know, it can come out through feelings of aggression, a multitude of different ways. For me, the the imposter syndrome is is what hits deep because I, I constantly feel in this certain state or like you have to like prove yourself to like the third degree when it when you shouldn't have to be anything like that. But it's because of different life experiences from when you're young to like even as you're older that constantly have you operating around different people who make you feel like that. So So that's my point with 280. It's like, I have so many friends who have been there learning together in community with you and the emotions, like the, the peace of how they talk about wine, like just in their face and like their 
just even in their like body language, I think that in and of itself says so much because they, they just feel really comfortable at the end of the day to be able to learn in a safe space, to be able to talk about their own experiences and existences and, and learn from one another as like why we are the way that we are, right? You don't have to explain it to anybody in terms of needing their stamp of approval or anything like that. It's just like, this is who I am and I honor your existence as a human and, and everybody there just honoring their existence as a human and where they've come from. It's really important when we're talking about safe spaces, especially when it comes to the youth, like Jenea, my partner, uh, when we first saw this space, like it was, it was really important to try and we were originally going to try and make this about educating the youth in the project but it's like a little bit complicated with insurance and all the other kinds of stuff. But um, one of the reasons that place was abandoned, and I've heard it from friends and affiliates of this woman who owned it originally, was mm -hmm. that she didn't like the black kids running through the vines. She said they were breaking the vines. She said that they were eating all the grapes. So for me, it's been like I was that little kid at one time that ran around white spaces and was looked at like, what the fuck are you doing here? And was have had guns pulled on me by white men, like running through fields and stuff like that. And for me, I was like, wait, no, we're gonna make this a space for them. Like they should be out here. Like, wow. so I've been doing everything I can to make 280 a thing that these young black youth are seeing, that the elders are seeing, that they're like, this black man's bringing hella cameras to the farm. He's bringing all these like news people to the farm. They're talking about our neighborhood, like, and it ain't for clout. It isn't for any weird shit like that. It's like 100%. Y'all deserve to be seen until the fucking shit's fixed. Because when I look at it, it's like nobody, nobody pays attention to the fact that like ghettos or projects are still wrong. Like they look at it as like, oh, it's just the way it is. And it's mm -hmm. like, no, that, that is the way it is because you've made it that way and you allow it to be that way and you don't go and fight That's for it. these people. Yep. And like, so I grew up in Germany and um, all of this shit goes back so deep, man. Like um, I grew up in Germany where I saw concentration camps, defunct concentration camps. Like I had a German teacher named Frau Naser who taught me all about nature and being in community with people. And she also took me to a train car that was actually used to transport Jewish people to concentration camps. And it was the only time I learned about the Holocaust there. And this woman, a German woman was like, you need to know that this is how I feel. And then this is how much devastation is caused between people. So when I see projects, ghettos in America, and that word ghetto was used in Germany, Nazi Germany, when we're still okay with that here in America, and food apartheid, food deserts being attached to them. It's like, wait, do you realize what you're actually still doing, America, allowing there to be a lower income population, mm -hmm. especially people of color, mm -hmm. especially people that are harmed at a, a in like crazy rate where you're just like allowing them to be shot, pretending that they're like just bringing guns in their own neighborhood, pretending that crack cocaine just ended up in their neighborhoods, yep. like yep. access, like spreading this false You know what narrative. I mean? It's like. Yes. So it's like, it's very interesting that like this place happens to be right next to a farm, right next to an affluent community, but right next to a freeway. It's like, so you put the black folks, the poor black and Latin folks right next to a major freeway with toxic carcinogens and 
flying cars 75, 80 miles per hour with their ch- children out there. And and you don't think that that's a problem? Like, put your kids there. You move in there. You wouldn't. You exactly. I mean? mm-hmm. So it's like, I do everything to try and scream this type of shit, man. That, like, yeah, the wine is cool. The grapes are cool at a basic human level. None of this is cool. Like, There's why so is this here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is literally just my way of getting into magazines and getting in all this stuff to talk about. You ain't treating people right. And you're not doing work that you say you believe in. And you know what I mean? Even in our own communities of black and brown people, we need to spend more time really standing up for each other and really having each other's backs and not being afraid to put our necks on the line for each other. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or afraid to like communicate with people and be like, hey, I see that you're struggling and shit. What can I do for you? How can I help? Like, if you have a skill or a talent, you should be using it to make sure your people are no longer in that bad position. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So this is the one thing that has been given to me by God or the universe is that, like, I guess I can speak and that I also can lead with action. You know what I mean? And And I'm not afraid. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Because it goes back to what I said at the beginning, you know, if if not you, then who? And if we're all constantly thinking someone else will take care of that, it's not my fucking problem, whatever story you want to spin to yourself, things are going to stay the way that they're going to stay. And not enough people are talking about the real shit that's actually going on. And I appreciate that you've corrected me and tried to get to the actual core of what 280 is. It's not just about making great wine and teaching people about the wine it's about calling attention to the injustices that exist on why you even had to create that space to begin with Mm -hmm. because there is no community there is no safe space for brown and black people and this is you know just one tiny urban area in san francisco let alone we haven't even addressed the entire fucking country let alone the world Mm -hmm. it's very alarming that we still have people wanting to clap back for people wanting to protect themselves or create programs like this that are here to uplift voices that have not been allowed to experience safety or freedom in what they want to learn or be associated with. You know, like the word gatekeeping is real. Like, you know, mm-hmm. this this housing community next to the farm, a public park, literally has a giant gate around the housing community. Like, like it looks like a prison. And, you know, when you think about that, it's like, this isn't friendly. This isn't how we show people we care about them. So my thing has been like trying to let everyone in that neighborhood know that you actually have the most privileged park in San Francisco and your kids get to run through a farm. But there's also basketball courts up the hill and baseball and soccer and, you know what I mean, a gymnasium and like a playground. But this shit right here. Most people don't realize how valuable organic free food is, but being outside in nature, seeing coyotes, seeing hummingbirds everywhere, and being able to go pick greens at night and make a meal up on the fly. You know what I mean? Like, because that's the thing for me is like, if people aren't able to see this, and if young people are still saying that slave shit, then there's something there that people are not wanting to acknowledge. And then the idea of reparations and everything, it's beyond that, man. It's like, what is this problem that's going on where young black people don't want to get dirty. They don't want to like be involved in agriculture. Like 
how damaging was it that people were really ran off their land and made afraid to try and even dive into these situations? And, you know, the situation that's happening in Colorado with the black rancher, I feel for this man. Like he has been being harassed by his white neighbors, like his animals have been being killed. And it hits home with me too, because I grew up in Colorado Springs, exactly where he's from. Mm. I grew up in El Paso County. I grew up watching indigenous people be mocked and made fun of and their tribal lands be used as white resources, like money-making schemes, you know what I mean? Casinos, all this shit, you know what I mean? Like, And to see a black man try and do something to better his life with his wife, to live a dream in America, like, it shouldn't even be a dream. It should just be an actual possibility. 100%. Like, to have the police fucking with him, to have his neighbors fucking with him, it's like, this is some KKK shit. So it's 100%. like, for me, like, wine, agriculture is so close, but so far away. Land ownership, it's so close, but so far away. Like, it's, it's beyond funding. It's beyond, like... Um, the access, it's like, it's to the point where it's like, is it even safe? You know, I've had straight up arguments with people that I care about, about like not wanting to live in rural areas because we start business in them because it's like, I'm not going to just carry a gun with me everywhere or have a shotgun in my house and like, you know what I mean? Have to run somebody off my property. Mm-mm. It's like, that also gets us in trouble. Yep. When we defend ourselves, we get in trouble. Yep. You know what I mean? And this is the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like being in California seems like a cool space and it seems super liberal until you start trying to defend yourself and you start trying to engage in these spaces where people feel like that's mine and you're not supposed to be here. And you see it really quickly. And so I, I, I thank you for giving me this platform to actually talk about this kind of stuff because most people don't ask me any real questions about how it really feels or what it is to be on the path of trying to one day live somewhere where I can live off the land. You know what I mean? Like, I really do. I think it all comes back to like, why are these inner city black folks so down and out anyway? Why don't they feel like they can grow their own food? Why do they feel like you know, like people look at their neighborhood and they see it as trash, but it's like, what is your responsibility as a, as an American that has helped make them be on the shit end of the stick? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like when people say, oh, this has nothing to do with me or I wasn't born back then. It's like, do you feel afraid when the police are behind you? Do you feel like you can't apply for a loan? Do you feel like you can get a job just based off your resume or who you know? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Upward mobility in America is a really important topic. And, you know, like I'm trying to create that space where I can seal the bag, man, like to make sure that I can help anybody else trying to come up and I can be the one that's doing that. I don't want to gatekeep shit. I just want to fucking bust the doors wide open mm-hmm. and create that, that's all create I'm trying that to pathway do. for other people. hundred mm-hmm. percent. And there's a, there's a, the fear that you're talking about as to like, people who want these things some it's scary as a brown and black person to dream because there are so many obstacles and so many people who will want to ensure that you do not get what you want at the end of the day and like you said even if it's through 
trying to get a loan. It's like people will be able to stop you at that point. If you want to have land, you're talking about the Colorado farmer and all of the gross misconduct and gross people that he is literally being surrounded by who are trying to stop him from just living out his life. Like he can't even live like a, just as a person on this planet because other people want to ensure that he knows he can't have access to certain things. Like you, you have to stay in this fucking box that we allow you in. And you talked about the projects and you talked about the apartments that are right next to Alamany farm and how it's this education that you have to be able to let them know, like it's okay for you to let your guard down here and for you to feel safe. Like you can access this piece of the land that your kids can come in here that you can have access to this food because we've, we've touched on it a little bit but not not a lot something like food deserts where you're in San Francisco you're in this urban population and that you live in a place that's literally located right next to where you can get fresh fruits fresh vegetables like when we look at San Francisco you look at Dolores Park you look at you know the entire where they hold outside lands what that what's that park called um oh golden gate park golden golden gate park infinite land infinite green space and you like question again like this has to do with who's making the decisions who is up at the top at the power to not even for a second think like if this community that exists here is experiencing so much poverty there is so much that's not being addressed even if we're just talking about food as that one thing, because there's so many different things that, that need to be addressed. But if we're specifically talking about food, how is it that there can be so much agriculture at the epicenter and land available, but no one's having conversations around finding solutions and using part of that land in order to try to ensure that people aren't going hungry at the end of the day, that people do have access to fresh fruits and vegetables, and that we know that it's in our own willingness to change. If it's about laws, then fucking change the laws. If whoever is like, again, gatekeeping that, ensuring that no, that's not going to get touched or whatever. Like, there's a solution to everything. It's just whether or not people are willing mm -hmm. to put their put their neck on the line and be like, this is what we're going to do because this is what's right and this is what's going to better the situation. Well, the thing that stresses me out pretty much the most is I have to go to a full time job where I feel like I'm being extracted from for having knowledge and great customer service and hospitality and all these things and a connection with people. But when I'm there, I don't get to work on doing this kind of work. And it's been kind of devastating to try and figure out fundraising, to figure out like, how can I break away from being someone else's help to, to helping myself mm. so I can help my entire community. That's why I need money. That's why I need to do this. Because if I'm going to be the fucking person really trying to do all of this shit, I don't want to focus on anything else. Yeah. I want to focus on 100% being in the fucking trenches and really doing it and building a team. Like my homie, Rita Manzana, who's our project manager, this lady keeps me organized. She helps me. My partner, Janea, she watches the kids. None of this shit would be possible without time and a team. So it's like, realistically, man, People ain't out re here really helping. You know what I mean? They'll do a little bit here and there and like whatever. But it's like, you know where the fucking funding is. You know how to help me. You know how to like talk to city officials. You may be better to write than I am. You know what I mean? Like write me a motherfucking grant just off the strength. Don't even ask. Just do the shit. Like, like if you really I don't believe know if in really... it, then exactly. Yeah. So it's like for me, it became very inspiring. 2020, I found out about a woman named Amber Tam 
she's a flower gardener and a florist up in New York and a farmer, um, black woman. She had this concept where she was talking about turning Central Park back into a, a, a part of it into a farm. But what was originally there was an area called Seneca Village, which was a black uh, part of the city. Mm-hmm. And so she wanted to take a small portion of like Central Park and turn it into agricultural land. So for me, I've been rocking with that idea out here. It's like Golden Gate Park is humongous. humongous. And if we added only like, if we added 5% of that grassland that's just sitting there, like instead cultivated it, hired some people to actually manage it, maybe it'd be SF Parks and Rec already, get them paid to manage a farm where people can walk through freely and eat. Just like Alimany, it's it's the it's basically the the roadmap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then we can start getting some places because I think what it builds is community. Everyone sees they have to eat. People get to like actually spend time to eat, like mm-hmm. together. Like you know what I mean? Kids have safe, active spaces. They're learning about their food, their environment. Um, you know, and it's it's very important that we get back to understanding where all of this comes from to knowing that everybody comes from an agricultural society at some point, something, you know, everybody has foraged at some point, hunted at some point, you know what I mean? Like food didn't just end up in grocery stores. You know, how did this Latinos all Latinos are out there be? picking it actually. <laughs> yes. And that's like crazy. Like for me, when I first got to Napa and seeing all this stuff, man, it was an abrupt like situation where, you know, I did my first harvest, like, uh, thankfully, my homegirl, Steph, uh, from New York, she came out here to, like, film and, like, document what 280 was. But she got me into the first, like, few vineyards to go get some free fruit. And I saw Latin people busting their asses. But then I also saw white folks standing around and, like, just ordering them what to do. Mm-hmm. And, like, but also being cutesy and shit. And, like, I met a lawyer who worked for a company and, like, you know, I asked him, I was like, yo, what are you doing? He was like, oh, I'm just out here. I wanted to experience it and see it. And like, you know, this is my first harvest. I'd never picked grapes like this before. I done anything, but I'm like keeping up, doing everything, busting my ass, talking to people, speaking a little bit of Spanish I can. And this man is just like not talking to anybody except the other white guys. And I asked him, I'm like, hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you grab a bin and start picking with us? Like, and he's like, oh, I couldn't possibly know what to do. Well, that's why you pick up the it's bin like, and you ask and you learn. So what he was doing was being passive aggressive and diminishing that type of work and saying mm-hmm. that he's Better not going to do that type of shit. Yep. Yep. Exactly. 100%. But it's like, damn, bro, for real? Like, like you're a lawyer and went to school for how fucking long, but you can't figure out how to fucking cut grapes off a goddamn vine? Like, mm-hmm. sorry, bro. like that. But you were probably in charge of running either somebody's safety with their company or imagine if it was someone's life in a court of law. Yep. You feel cool with that, but you can't figure out how to, you know what I mean? So it was that situation. And same thing, at that vineyard, I was trying to speak with the Latin workers and everything. I ended up talking with a Latin man that spoke fucking plain-ass English from Vallejo, but you're just looking at him like slaves, like, and you're the overseers. Yep, and, and that's exactly how they treat the situation. It's been a whirlwind, like, crazy experience creating this thing, getting to meet all of the apprentices, getting to show this work, you know, Steve Mathiason truly is like the goat, man, opening the doors, helping out, like, sweetest individual, his wife as well. And then, you know, uh, Beth Forestro at UC Davis, man, 
these are real these are real allies. These people have put their professional careers on the line to make sure that I can do what I'm saying and that we can really be able to make space and have vulnerable situations where people can cry, they can laugh, they can be happy, they can ask uncomfortable questions about labor, fair wages, um, access to land, potential jobs, you know what I mean? Like mentorship, like, because without it, a lot of people say they're about it, but they're not about it, you know? And I want to be the one that eventually has that space that like, you know, that's all I'm about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's who no comes to me, you know it. what I mean? hundred percent, hundred percent. Exactly. The fact that we even are having this conversation right now, it's like, damn, maybe we haven't gotten as far as we thought. I will say with a lot of what we're talking about, it just brings me back to any time that you think any time that I felt like, OK, things are getting better because it, to some degree, I don't think I've ever felt more of a sense of community for black and brown people in wine specifically, since that's the industry that I operate in. But us unpacking what that journey has looked like and how much gatekeeping there is and how very, very little resources there are things as well as people specifically to actually help support and alleviate the challenges that are ahead is also making me think like it's not in, it's in the greatest position that we thought it was or that I've well, recently been making it feel like it ha like it is, you know, there's, there's so much work to be done. It's going to take that community and it's going to take a lot more individuals, people with money at the end of the day who will put their fucking well, money where <laughs> their mouth is, you know, and ensure that like so, they're they're being part of that solution. What you just said struck a chord, man, because last night I literally was talking to Janan. I told her I was like and this came to my mind. I was like, man, you know, the easiest way for a person of color to get money is either to be murdered or uh, some kind of tragedy happens. Like, literally, it's crazy. George Floyd's family, Ahmaud Aubrey's family, uh, Tyree Nichols' family, within fucking days, these people yeah. get millions of dollars yeah. collectively, and that's crazy. Same thing. This man being threatened in Colorado, people are sending him the bag, and it's weird. And it's like, that's not necessarily why people should do these things. Mm -hmm. Like, you it know shouldn't what I mean? take like, that that's so... for people to choose to give a fuck. Yeah. So, and then when you say community, though, I want to shout out uh, Jade Marley. Um, I want to shout out uh, Justin Bell from Calche. Um, these people are creating something special with like ABV, um, anything but Vinifera. And I feel like this is a community that is focusing on creating same thing, a safe space of education, of professionals in our industry that want to be around people that are caring and want to um, do the right things. You know what I mean? Like, Q Society, um, Roots Fund, mm -hmm. like we're all out there and it's like, it's, it's, it's same thing. It's time. We all got to be put together in different places. You know what I mean? But like, realistically, man, like I feel, I feel honored when people fly me to places to talk about community, mm -hmm. to talk about how we can make things better and how we can care for each other. You know what I mean? Like, that's the real work. You know what I mean? And that makes me feel like in those moments, we are getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, we 100%. are doing bigger things. But on a, on a global, national level, politics, politicians, 
uh, city level, even our mayor in San Francisco. It's like, if you need ideas, you can just tap in. Like, cause realistically, like you're not getting it done. You're not saying what needs to be said. You control the police force. You're still allowing them to fucking drive around and shoot people and like, and him our our people up and put them in prison and make them work for free. So who do you really work for? Yeah. Same thing. Like the president, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. It's like, you guys say all this shit, but realistically, like, are you willing to be lynched also? Are you willing to tell people like, okay, this shit really has to stop like right, right now. And this is how the fuck you're going to do it. Like if anything else happens, that's it. I'm closing your motherfucking police force down. You know what I mean? Like, all this kind of stuff, it's like, there's solutions, man. But like, people are like pretending like there's no history books. Like people weren't doing this before in the sixties and the fifties and the forties. Like there, there are definitely ways that we can be doing way more. And we kind of have already had like elders show us, you know, so we got to be like not letting them down. We can't let them down. We can't let the youth down. Or the next generation down, because that's what's going to come next, you know, and we got to make sure that we can do our part with whatever resources we have access to, to try to build up that future and what we want it to look like. And there's the road ahead is is a long one, Um, but I'm hopeful because of what you said, because of the communities that we've been able to find. Like I said, it's never felt stronger mm-hmm. for brown and black people specifically because of the Roots Fund, because of Hispanics and Wine, because of you just talked about ABV. And I was like taking a look at that as everything was going down um, on Instagram. Social media can be a great platform in order for us to feel that community and be able to ensure that people are staying in the know. We just need people to show up and we need people to give a damn. We need people to put their own neck on the line and to ensure that like if they have a voice, which they do, and then for them to use it, you know, and for them to make sure that like the conversation doesn't stop and that needle keeps moving and that we continue to inspire change in whatever small, big, medium way, shape or form that that looks like at the end of the day with, again, what we have access to and what we can give back for others. Yeah, totally. And I would say like, you know, there are people doing this work probably in every state, you know, in every in every city, every town. Like in Oakland, you got Fern Stroud from the Black Vine. Um, you know what I mean? There's people up in New York doing their thing. Miami, you got Parody, uh, Books and Bread, you know? Um, LA, like, it's amazing. You got Ron Finley, the Gangster Gardener. Like, there's there's people all over doing this work. Mm-hmm. So it's like, there are resources to tap into to figure out how you can actually support businesses of color or people trying to improve upon the movement of people having equity and equality. You know what I mean? So speaking of support, how can people support you specifically to continue doing what you need to do and what you want to do for the community and for what you're envisioning ahead? Yeah. I mean, I would say like, honestly, if you can, you know, you can tap in, um, with 280 project, uh, info at 280.com. Um, and then you can hit me up on the Instagram, but I need help with fundraising. Like I don't want to work at my job anymore. Like I've been dealing with like racist shit going on. People um, just treating me weird. Like I, I have like a great clientele of people that I love, but I also realize that I should be doing this for myself mm-hmm. and I should be doing this for my community in a place of people that look like me, that respect me, that want to make sure that 
they have somewhere nice to drink and eat also. Um, but yeah, we need help with fundraising. Um, I need help with figuring out partnerships, things like that, because I see the way to also make a bigger impact is by partnering with like global brands, mm -hmm. things like that, mm -hmm. to tell bigger stories mm -hmm. about the work that we're doing mm -hmm. and to let more people around the world see it, you know? Um, you can also apply to the 280 apprenticeship. Applications are live right now. Um, we've had someone as far as Lebanon already apply, which Ooh. is mind-blowing because, yeah, it's crazy. It's like, how, how do people know about this all the way far away, you know? So, I love that. Um, I do, too. It makes me very happy. Um, and, and send send good people our way. You know what I mean? Like I said, if you have grant writing skills, if you just know how to write and do things, if you are detail oriented, like reach out to us, like, um, all of this will make a huge impact because like, I'm not trying to play games. I'm trying to make sure that we can change the way young black people go from like a prison pipeline to like a college or entrepreneurial pipeline, mm. you know? we need to be putting out just good people, you know, and we, and that takes love and, and help. So that, that would be the best. And then also what else? Keep doing positive things in your community. That's helpful. That's always going to be helpful, but I specifically love that you just listed out all of those things. And that's community at its core is people coming together in order to support one another. So if it's that grant writing, whatever you think your skill is that you could provide of service, reach out. Help out Christopher. Help out the 280 Project. If you know someone who has a fat check and a fat bag who would want to donate, again, that fundraising element, so, so, so important in order for this to continue to grow and to build and for Christopher to spend all of his time ensuring that, that 280 becomes exactly what it should be in all of its beauty and essence. Can I say one more thing? Mm -hmm. So, you know, beyond 280, what we also do... Um, my friend Haley Garabato and I, we uh, we worked at Liho Liho together a long time ago. And, um, you know, during the pandemic, same thing, this, this farm has a kitchen on it. And when I walked by it and I realized it's the same story that people are trying to talk about in hospitality about farm to table. And I thought it was kind of a fake thing because it's like not many restaurants have actual relationships where they see farmers, their staff gets to see farmers, meet these people. I saw this outdoor kitchen and it reminded me, I was like, this is literally in between the housing community and the farm. I was like, if we take food from this farm, put it in that kitchen, cook it and invite people from that neighborhood to come eat for free, we are doing like the best work possible. So we started a thing called Feed the People Collective and it That's was uh, a call to all the chefs in the city to see if they could come do this kind of work with us. And you know what? A lot of people say like they're really about helping their, their city and helping people, but Haley and I have been doing this with a few volunteers and maybe two to three chefs have ever stepped up to the plate to take it on like themselves to like fully design a menu and come out and cook. Cause what we do is we show up on a Sunday on our days off um, and we prep at 8.30 in the morning. By the time it's 11.30, 12, lunch is ready. And people come in from the community. And this is all communities around. Like, this isn't just poor people. Like, we are hoping that people from, like, affluent neighborhoods and just normal neighborhoods can come. And if they can donate, that goes to us feeding 
the, the poor community for free. Wow. So we, we do this. We don't pay ourselves. Um, and when people don't come into the, the park, we run it into their neighborhoods. And I knock on every single door and we feed everybody. So we've met every single person in that community. I've fed everybody's children. I've met everyone's grandparents. You know what I mean? The, the grannies living alone that are 90 years old in wheelchairs and stuff like that. And this isn't for clout. This is like people saying they don't know what to do, how to help people. It's like fucking do something. Mm -hmm. Do something. Take a day off and figure out how you can do something. If you have coding skills, if you are good with legal paperwork, if you're good at grant writing, if you're good at anything, see if somebody in your community needs help. Because when we start doing that, then we're not going to be isolated. We're going to be all in community together. 1,000%. You are such an incredible human. I'm I'm just sitting here in awe and I and I know you keep saying over and over you're like I'm not doing this for the cloud I'm not doing this for the cloud and I know that I 1000% can feel that I can see it I people know when people are being authentic and you are authentic to your core and I know you just want to do good with the access to things that you have in order to provide and make of the world a better place um, and I just I'm so grateful to be able to meet people like you in my lifetime because I don't think that there's enough of us out there that exist to operate in this way. And I, I'm someone who operates in a very similar way. So I just have mad respect for you. And I can't wait to see how I can become a part of this and help you out and see how I can continue to just be embedded and stay in the mix for, for whatever comes from here, because uh, we, we got to come together in order for us to really change it. I appreciate it. No, this is uh, an amazing opportunity. Like I said, many people don't ask me or allow me to speak actual truth. You know what I mean? Most of it's just surface and like, Oh, that's cute. And this is awesome. And like, really like that. And that's a good idea. And it's like, this isn't an idea. This is like life. This is real life. You know what I mean? Like I struggle every month to pay my bills. Like uh, right now I have two cars broken down in front of my house. I have to take my kid in a pickup truck, you know, in a little booster seat. Like, but I'm still thankful. And that doesn't make me stop. Like what that makes me realize is like, got to grind even harder because mm -hmm. like realistically, nobody's going to do it for me. Mm -hmm. That's why I had to do it myself. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you can be going through your own set of things and still be thinking about everybody else outside of you and how you support them and show up every Sunday without hesitation, without feeling any kind of negative way, like, why does it have to be me to keep doing this? You know, without any of that negativity, it says everything. Well, what I realized in life is that, um, and I realized from doing Feed the People, but it's, it's one uh, Sunday of the month. It's the first Sunday of the month. But what I realized is that when you care for people and you are taking care of them, you literally are setting yourself up for everyone to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And everyone will, like I'm telling you, I walk through this neighborhood that has active gangbanging where grown men tell me they love me. Like, like that's the shit I'm looking for, man. Like, I don't need any cool guy kind of stuff. Like I would rather be like able to dap up everybody, rich, white, homie, poor person, homeless person. You know what I mean? That's I want to, I want everybody to, I want everybody to acknowledge each other, man. Like that's it. That's the only fucking reason we're here. Then we could figure out everything together. Thousand percent. 
thousand percent. Let's not be divided. Let's see what resources we have access to, how we can help one another out. Like I said, I want y'all to lock into Chris Renfro, 280 Project, lend out your support. What was that email that you gave out earlier where people can reach out if they if they have info at 280.com. You can also reach out to me, 280 Project on Instagram. Perfect. Well, this was a beautiful conversation that went a whole lot deeper than wine. And I'm thankful that it did. And I'm thankful that we talked about some real shit. And I'm hoping that anybody listening to this understands the power that they have every day and how they move and that we use that power in order to be able to provide. I got to shout out one last person, Matt Neese from North American Press, who has helped us put out our wine. Um, another actual ally, man. Like, I love this guy to death. He is such a sweet person. And really, I I don't know what it would be like if I hadn't met that man. He he really cares about being a good human. And that's the kind of shit I need in my life. All right. Shout out, Matt. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you. Yeah, man. And let me know what you, uh, seriously, anything you need from me, like anything ever. Like, uh, I feel like that's, that's what I can give. You know what I mean? It's like, and I tell people this for real. It's like, tap in if you ever need anything. If I can help connect you to anybody whatever you know i appreciate that but i want it more so the other way around uh i want to see how i can personally support you through connections or whatever um and if i can think of people i'll keep sending them your way awesome man i appreciate you so much have a great day okay you too take care Big sip.